0: What is good, everyone? This is your host, Deanna Radalescu with Label Free Podcast. Live your best life. You must live label free. As you can see, I'm doing one of my favorite interviews in person here in Evanston, Illinois at Bardot Studios. Thank you to my friend, Annette Patco. Thank you, Annette, for hosting us today. It's such a beautiful space, as you can see. My next guest... Another total boss, babe. I love my boss babes. Like we just connect at a level that you just don't understand. Uh, she has been a, she actually the founder of Megawatts Productions, a full service production house founded by TV producer and content creator Rena Watts. Rena, you actually have some great things in your in your career that we'd like to talk about. Thank you for joining us today. Can you please tell the audience a little bit about your background?
1: Thank you so much for having me. Yes, my career started at the Jerry Springer Show. (laughs) Oh yeah. It's a story in itself. So I worked for an NPR station in college and I drove up to Chicago and I was interviewing at WGN which was a little bit of a different speed than Jerry Springer. But when I left that interview, I saw a flyer in the same courtyard because it was at Tribune Tower, which was right across from NBC at the time. And it said that Jerry Springer was looking for interns. And so I was like, okay, this does not happen every day. So I called the number on there. I walked across to NBC Tower. I got a hold of the intern coordinator and got through security. And I ended up starting there two weeks later. I love it. Oh, my God. So really, really crazy. I mean, I grew up watching the show. I was a fan of the show. My dad was a fan of the show. He was like, totally do that. You know, I recently ended up catching up with Jerry after 20 years. Oh, wow. He was like, yeah, I was wondering, like, were your parents happy about that or (laughs) did they try to persuade you another direction? But, you know, my dad, who is just my number one fan and my biggest cheerleader – He worked in a factory, he ran a manufacturing company with his parents for 40 years, and the people that worked alongside my dad probably, and some of them could have been on the show. Yeah. So I feel like it was really a good fit for me, because I knew how to talk to the people to get them to come on. Like, I could relate to them. I was a small-town girl from Kentucky, and I was not judging them, and I was learning the city alongside them, so as an intern, it was my job to take the guests around town. So I had free tickets to House of Blues. Oh, wow. I had free tickets to the diners around town. Oh, my God. And I was oblivious to the fact that I was walking around with a 500-pound woman and a midget. You know, I was just like, <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm learning my way around the town. Man, I, I wish
0: I was a fly in the wild for that one. I, I love Jerry Springer, too. You know, like I was telling you before we started recording, I always wanted to go to one of the shows. It was just so... Like, over the top, I guess, for a talk show, because it was no holes barred. How did you guys deal with that during, I mean, we're going to get to what you do, because you're awesome, but, like, that is just so cool to talk about.
1: I mean, I was 21 years old. Oh my god. <laughs> you know, and I was babysitting adults. Yeah. I mean, to be perfectly honest, like, I was, I had a pager. I was yeah. being paged in the middle of the night that, like, half of one story found the other half of another uh. story, and the stories were, like, unfolding in the street. Had I not been in my 20s, like, <laughs> I don't think I could have handled that. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. You don't sleep the night before the yeah. show. Like, yeah. you know, you're on call to, like, make sure these guests show up, that they know the story, that it unfolds in the way that they told you over the phone. Yeah. And, um... It was crazy. Yeah, but you know what Jerry said too. He was like, "If you could produce that, you could produce anything."
0: Yeah, for like, sure.
1: It was really a boot camp. Yeah, for everything that I did for the rest of my career, it taught me how to book a story, how to pitch a story, yeah. how to get people to be crazy on national television, how to teach them what they forgot to say, and then keep the story going. Mm. All of the, I mean, all of those elements. So reality TV. It was really the forefront (laughs) of reality TV, you know? And then when I moved out to LA and worked on shows where, you know, a producer or an interviewer, a post-production assistant, they did so much less. Like I was really able to rock just... Focusing on one thing. Yeah. Because the producer at Springer had to do so much more. Oh wow. How long were you with Spring uh, Jerry Springer? I was there for two and a half years. Oh, okay. And then, you know, I have to say, after producing the season opener for a third season, one of the guests came up to me and said, How can you live with yourself? Oh, yikes. And that really was very honestly, personal like hit me because for me it was a big paycheck. Yeah. And it was working on a nationally syndicated talk show. And it was getting the opportunity to work in entertainment, which was a dream. Yeah. But after hearing those stories day in and day out, I have to say, I did get a little burnt out. Like, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was like, how many of these stories can you hear? Yeah. And can you live without it affecting you? And I was like, I think I have gotten into the Producers Guild. I've produced enough shows to work on something else. And I, I left there with no backup plan. I literally just took the white box. Wow. On a high note and moved to L.A. That's amazing. So what was after Jerry Springer? So I moved to L.A. I knew no one. I moved out there with an ex. Um, did, I think I think a lot of women do that <laughs> I did meet him on the show. I, that's another little detail, but um, you know, oh, no, 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 no. Only your own Jerry Springer story. Exactly. <laughs> got my own office before I was pretty, though. Whatever. Anyways, uh, so I moved out to LA and I took an executive assistant role. But first, I took like a production coordinator role uh, okay. on a pilot. And then after I worked on that pilot, they offered me an executive assistant role for a special effects animation company.
0: Oh, wow. And That's I was like, cool. okay,
1: these guys have been in the industry for like 30 years. Yeah. I can learn a lot from them. I can learn the business side of things, the SAG contracts, the payroll, the accounts payable and receivable. Yeah. So I took it. Literally, it was a step down. I mean, to be honest, like I went from being a producer to a, a executive assistant to yeah. three seasoned producers. But the great thing about that yeah. was that... I got to do a lot of networking. Oh, sure. And I got to kind of figure out, like, what, where I fit and what roles I wanted to do. So I went from working at that special effects animation company to being a field producer on a VH1 show. (gasps) And they were so cool about it. Like it was only a seven week show on the road. They let me do that and then come back. Like when that show didn't get picked up, they were like, ah, you're good at answering the phone and we like you around here. (laughs) So I ended up kind of like doing that a couple of times. And then when I was like able to jump to a show that like had some potential and got picked up for multiple seasons, then I ended up like, you know, having my feet were stable enough on the ground to like make the leap.
0: So do you feel like during that process you just kind of followed your gut, your heart to where it would take you?
1: So many times. Yeah. And honestly, I also have to give a little bit of credit because I I did catch some luck along the way. Like if you can catch some luck of like working for people that have been in the industry that have done it for like 30 years and are really cool. Yeah. So I got a couple of those breaks. Like I worked for this guy on Nanny Nine One One. shout out to Rusty Austin for taking a (laughs) risk on me. Thank you, Rusty. Seriously, I applied to this guy for like an entire year through the producer's guild. I think I drove him crazy. Oh wow. And after a year of applying to him, I used a one-liner. I said, since Bill Clinton's no longer looking for (laughs) interns, that's a good one-liner. sounds like fun, and he was a Clinton fan, and he thought that was funny, and a couple one-liners helped me out a yeah. few times, but he was like, come in. I interviewed with him. I started the same night, and I took oh, a post-production wow. supervisor role where I worked from seven at night till seven in the morning for an entire season. Oh my gosh. And I knew nothing about production, like post-production. I yeah. didn't even know how to output a tape, and the guy was like, look, if you can produce Springer, I have faith. Yeah. that you can learn this. I know this role inside it out. I'm going to give you the yeah. deliverables. I'm going to tell you who needs what you find where you're needed. Yeah. And I just did that. So I supervised the editors at night. I went into their bays. I was a second set of eyes on like all of the cuts. And I ended up doing their payroll. I ended up fetching coffee, whatever needed to yeah. be done to get it together. I did. Mm-hmm. And then the next season I got days. Oh, wow. And then the next season after that, I got Days. Nice. So I worked on that show for three seasons, and then it was like, again, like a real training ground. Sure, sure. You know, but it was also that guy who was so comfortable, and being the post-production producer, that he was like- He had well, faith in you. He had faith in me, and he yeah. also made himself available, and he was so oh, nice. laid back. He yeah. was like, look, you can do this. Yeah. Here's the deliverables. Call me if there's a problem.
0: Yeah, I love and I that. And never
1: was, because- he was so trusting, and he was always willing to answer questions.
0: And you, and you had it. You guys, uh, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors.
1: Support for Label Free
0: Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Now, ladies, you can use this too. We're all-inclusive here. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide, and now we're going to have the ladies, too, because, come on, ladies, let's be real. We have an exclusive offer for my listeners, 20% off plus free shipping with the code LABELFREE20 at manscaped.com. So thank you, Manscaped, for your support. And everybody is welcome to purchase with my code. Deanna Rodalescu here with uh, our incredible guest, Rena Watts. Rena was just telling us about her journey through production in Hollywood with Jerry Springer and some VH1 opportunities and being a post-production person, supervisor. supervisor. Um, and I, you know, I, I think that is just amazing. All things you just shared with us, there's a stigma around the industry, how hard it is to get into. So can you talk to him a little bit about, before we get into your personal, what you got going on now? What kind of hurdles did you have to get over getting into that industry? Because it's pretty hard to break into, isn't it?
1: I would say, you know what's amazing now, though, and I've been catching up with people in the industry a lot on my podcast that we're going to talk about, but what has changed in the last decade or so is that a lot of the jobs that I had to slave myself for around the clock, you can now break into remotely. Oh,
0: wow. Nice.
1: Which was not a thing Yeah, when I broke in. So if people wanted to get into the industry 15 years ago, yeah. you needed to work third shift. You yeah. needed to take executive assistant jobs just to like work under somebody more established than you. You needed to take internships. Yeah. Now you can create your own brand, your own community, and get noticed that way. Yeah. And I know you're big on that. You're like, yes. hey... Yes. You know, if you have a voice and you have a story to tell, start creating content. Mm -hmm. And that is true. Let me tell you, the networks are coming second fiddle to YouTubers now. Yeah. They are coming second fiddle to podcasters now. They are having a hard (laughs) time figuring out how to keep up. Yeah. Because the kids are watching TikTok. They're watching YouTube. They're watching social media. And they are not watching TV.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy how that whole landscape has changed as far as entertainment is concerned. And I personally didn't really even think about it until I started doing this, you know, and how I actually watch my own entertainment, you know, and it is just very different, you know, and to navigate that and to actually just be a part of this new world that we live in has been very exciting for me. So I know you've been a part of this industry for a very long time, and now you have your own podcast as well and are this incredible producer. Can you, so can you tell us a little bit about now what you're doing?
1: Yeah, so I worked for a couple influencers, you know, before the pandemic. One of them was a top-rated podcast host, and I started booking her very hard-to-reach people like Howard Schultz and Barbara Corcoran oh, and wow. Derek Sivers and big names because she had built a community. Yeah. I yeah. started working for her around, like, 4 million downloads and watched her grow to <sighs> wow. about 20 million amazing. Downloads. And I was like, whoa, like if I can do that for someone else. Why can't I do that for myself? And what's crazy is right before the pandemic, I was seven and a half months, about seven months pregnant. And I was helping her produce a 350 person event. Oh, and my wow. dad was in LA at the time, like meeting with one of his former clients. And he was worried about me because I had, had a couple miscarriages mm. in the past. And he Aww. was like, okay. He was like, I know you're living your dream and you're like, can't stop working, but I'm in town. I'll be your production assistant. I so my that. dad, like, worked on this event with me, this dad. Kathy Keller event. God bless my father. This is why we have a yeah. show together now. But he was... Putting the snacks out. He was oh <laughs> yes, like putting the tables out, and moving the chairs, not making any money, and being my right hand. He's just always been my biggest cheerleader. Yeah. And so about three and a half years ago, I co-hosted another show. And again, I was booking people talent. I was helping with scheduling. Mm-hmm. I was helping with marketing. So I had, you know, not only co-hosted a show, worked at an NPR station in college, worked for bigger podcasters, all of that stacked up on its on itself. And I was kind of like, I want to do this for me now. Yeah. So about a year and a half ago, I launched a show called the better call daddy show where I honestly took the concept of Springer. I was like, okay, I can use my casting chops and like book all these crazy stories, (laughs) share the stories with my dad. And then instead of Springer wing and with the final thought, my dad can add his two cents. Oh, I love it. I love it. Generational play. And And my dad have like this special rapport You know, he's been my biggest cheerleader. He's always who I call for advice. And I was like, wow, you know, he was a business owner for 40 years. He's got advice that he can give others. And, you know, people people can either ask my dad a question or he'll just weigh in on their story and give his two cents. And what has happened from that was completely unpredictable. I mean, I've now gotten to interview Jerry Springer, James Altucher, Evan Carmichael, big YouTubers. People are coming out of the woodwork. Stephen Covey reached out to me. He's like, you know... I have a great daddy story. He had to live up to his dad's big name, you know? And yeah. Not only has it been like inspirational fathers, it's been absent fathers, it's been sperm dad- sperm donor daddy, <laughs> all different kind of daddy stories, you yeah. know. Everybody has a daddy yes, story. Everybody so it's does. Got that appeal. And then from that. I had people saying, Hey, like, could you help me produce a show? I was yeah. like, Yes. So it led to me producing a healthcare series here oh, locally in Chicago last year. And another it. healthcare show reached out to me and was like, We need somebody to write our scripts. So it's just been honestly organic. And then people started reaching out to me like, Hey, can you get me on shows? Hey, can you get me guests for shows? Yeah. So now my appetizer offer is like, Hey, <laughs> You know, I've interviewed love 200 people. Yeah, yeah. Like you need some good guests for your show. That's a service I offer. You want to get on yeah. shows? I know awesome people. That's an offer. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's just been like reinventing myself time and time again and like listening to my gut. What do I enjoy doing? What's yes. fun? What isn't fun? What do I not want to do anymore? Right. Yeah. And then rolling with that. Yeah,
0: I love that. Where can people find you, reach out to you, support you, connect with you? Like can you please plug all your links?
1: Yes. Bettercalldaddy.com. You can reach out to me at Rena at bettercalldaddy.com. <laughs> I am a LinkedIn holic. We're connected there. <laughs> yes. So you can find me at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn. Those are the best places.
0: Yeah. And I'm gonna put all her links in the show notes, you guys, so don't hesitate to go support her, go find her podcasts on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, or if you're interested in if you know someone that has a better daddy story. <laughs> Reach out to her. She'd love to hear it. So before we start wrapping things up and saying goodbye, I always like to ask for any last words of wisdom or advice. So what would you like to leave with the audience before we say goodbye?
1: Yes, I thought about that because I heard you asking that question. And my dad's favorite thing to say, he always says, the customer is always right, especially when they're not. And here, I'm going to explain that a little bit further. But that means, like, even when your customer is, like... So off, you have to make them feel like like, like they are not, yeah, and it's always better to 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 bow out gracefully and let yeah. your customer feel like they're right it's always best to do that in business, and I think about that all the time,
0: so how can we apply that to the podcasting world actually, because I think that's really great insight, and I at being in retail and in sales, like that's very hard. To do that, I know I've been, you know, I've had to do that a couple of times. It's like, Arr! you know, I'm like inside, like, I want to punch this person in the face, but you got to make them feel right. So, as podcasters, how can we apply that in our world?
1: Oh, man, that's a good question. I'll tell you how I had to apply it to a, a customer recently. and maybe oh, okay. that will yeah, yeah, yeah. Spell it out more, but like, I was producing a live in person event. This was before the pandemic. and the person that I was working for wanted a relationship of mine that I had cultivated over a year, you know, year's time. And in order for that speaker to come speak on his stage, that speaker wanted to also showcase somebody from his company. Okay. He was like, look, I'll be a part of your event, but I also want you to highlight my director. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. And so the guy that I was working for was like, okay, I'll have the CEO and I'll have the art director. Then when it came down to it, like literally a day before, he was like, I only want the CEO. <gasps> that oh, that's not a... right. That's not right, that's not right. <laughs> totally not right, right? Yeah, very so uncomfortable. I, and I'm in a hard place because I'm getting paid to like book the speakers, right? Yeah. So I did not tell the CEO until after, literally until after the event happened that I would never have put that in, him in that situation
0: mm -hmm. Wow.
1: I literally just let it play out between them two. It was my job to make the introduction.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. Yeah. Just like leave it at that and walk
1: away. I totally (laughs) let that play out between them. Yeah, sure. And then after he didn't speak at the event, I went back and told the CEO, I just wanted to let you know that I would have never told you yes had I not gotten a yes first. Yeah. And he was like, I know that.
0: Yeah. Well, that's awesome. You handled that well. Because I don't know how I would have been like, ah, hair on fire, like shit. Oh, and there's
1: (laughs) lots of opportunities like that.
0: Oh, I bet. You know,
1: so I would say, like, take a step back. Yeah. You know, always try to take the higher road.
0: Yes. Handle it gracefully.
1: And, And sometimes you have to bow out gracefully. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I love that. Great advice. Thank you so much, Rina, for being a guest today. It was an awesome. You, your energy is amazing. It's enigmatic. And I can't wait to see where your podcast goes and where you go with all of your amazing connections and the things that you do and the stories that you tell. You guys, this is your host, Deanna Radalescu with Label Free Podcast. Live your best life. You must live label free. Please don't forget to review, rate, follow, subscribe, all those good things. And I'll be back soon with more dynamic guests.